seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this new crazy mother. This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Age of Aquarius. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Dead Pundit Society. This is a very, very special episode. It is uh, the dawn of a new era, you might say. Uh, the age of Aquarius is upon us. No, uh, I haven't completely lost my mind. No, the coronavirus has not eaten away at what is uh, the remaining few of my brain cells that have made it through the past seven, eight weeks of quarantine. No, Trump derangement syndrome has not completely corrupted my sensibilities. Uh, it is the age of Aquarius because I got a big announcement and... I'm super, super pumped about this one. It kind of happened quickly and spontaneously, but you could also say it's a long time coming. Folks, we've got a co-host on DPS. I'm super, super pumped to announce this uh, name, and, and you'll hear this voice. The name and voice will both be very familiar to all of you. Mr. Ben Burgess. Ben, welcome to uh, DPS, your first episode as as a co-host. How you hanging, man? Oh, thanks, man. I'm good. Um yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Um, you know, I I just got back from a run, so I'm a little sweaty and incoherent. So, uh, so I hope this is good. But uh, but yeah, this is great. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about who you are and what your your deal is, and if people don't already know. But before we let this run thing go, I got to tell the audience, the listeners, you and I. I knew this co-host, uh, our, uh, us being co-hosts together, was meant to be because we actually, unbeknownst to one another simultaneously started this uh, app in quarantine called what uh, couch to 5k, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 We both decided we uh, lay about Marxist podcasters both decided at the same time <laughs> that we wanted to uh, run a 5k without dying. So how's it going for you so far, man? You're, you're like a week. I think you're at least a week ahead of me. Yeah. 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 just did uh week three, day three. And it's, it's like a little sad because that I'm this excited about the fact that I can do like a light jog for three minutes without feeling like I'm going to die. But, uh, but there you go. Right. I mean, like, it, it, like just the fact that I'm there does seem to show that it's working. I think like, you know, I try to, I try to flout my Chad like status, you know, I do a lot of bicep <laughs> curls, a lot of bench press. Uh, I, I have challenged, I have challenged uh, Chad vigorous on Twitter to a lefty uh, flex off. <laughs> Uh, you know, he knows he's been called out. I haven't heard a response from him yet, but what I'm not known for is my aerobic capacity to put that lightly. And on top of that, like I've got bad knees. So my left knee's falling apart. It, it's trash. You're, you're probably going to wreck me in this 5k when this thing is all over with. Are you prepared? Are you prepared to, to have a race at the end of the thing? <laughs> uh, well, I guess, uh, since that would have to wait until, uh, the plague has passed enough that, uh, <laughs> I could come to Virginia or you could come to Georgia. So, uh, so yeah, maybe by then <laughs> let's, let's just make it a beer mile. Let's make it a beer mile and we'll, we'll live stream it on zoom for the listeners and everybody out there in uh, the audience can watch Ben and I projectile vomit <laughs> <laughs> after like several beers, like in the midst of running a mile, you're familiar with the, the beer mile, right? It's like a big, big deal. It's like a professional sport. They've got sponsorships and everything, right? They do. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you run a lap, I guess, which is like a quarter mile and you chug a beer, yeah. run a lap, chug a beer, run a lap, chug a beer. Okay. And uh, I want to <laughs> say that if you throw up, you're disqualified because you think about it, that'd be, that would be cheating, right? That'd be unfair. Your stomach would be a lot right, more empty than everybody else. 
That's serious mm. shit. So it's going down here. What, like seven more weeks? Beer mile, DPS beer mile. You heard it here first. <laughs> Sounds good, man. <laughs> so yeah, back to back to you. Um, I chose you for a co-host for obvious reasons because I think that uh, let me let me gas you up here a little bit. <laughs> uh, two primary reasons, not simply because uh, we both started the couch to five k app at the same time, but first because. You know, you're the guy who takes like argumentation and arguments and, and logic very, very seriously. And, you know, it's my understanding, not my understanding. I saw the damn thing when I'm, I'm trying to I'm, pr- I'm trying to play coy here. You debated Stefan, uh, Stefan Molyneux on Friday. You know, you take I you're did. known for taking the fight directly to our adversaries in a really confident way. And you're not afraid to talk to anyone or debate anyone. And spread socialist ideas, you know, to, to anyone who who will listen. And and I think that's really important. You know, I've been arguing for that since day one with the help of some of my guests in the free speech uh, series that I did very, very early on. Um, I Man, I ate a lot of shit for that. Although, you know, now those arguments are pretty much like a big part of the status quo, at least on a lot of the socialist left, not the liberal left. Uh, what happened when you debated Stefan Molyneux? Uh, what kind of reception did you get there? Well, uh, of course, it was uh, it was mixed. You know, there were there were some people who had critical comments. Like, for example, several people in his uh, live chat comments did make a pretty devastating point, which was that I looked Jewish. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, overall, overall, you've been if- thusly refuted by <laughs> that's right the anti semites. Right. Yeah. yeah, they got a point. Yeah. They got a point. Uh, you now, know, no, I mean, who, like, there's there's no I denying know. it. So, so no yeah, <laughs> but look, I mean, it, it felt pretty good. Um, I mean, I, I think a lot of it was spent kind of skewering the obvious contradiction, which I, I kind of tried to bring up a couple times and he wouldn't go there, but then there were, he was taking chat questions and like people in chat kept asking about it. So he finally did about like the obvious tension between his position on immigration uh, and like he actually went as far as to uh, support Trump in the 2016 election and the fact that he claims to be this free market libertarian, just, you know, let the market do whatever it wants, you know, let the chips fall where, fall where they may. And it, that, that just seemed very, very weird. And um, so especially because like he was making, even though he's supposed to be this like hardcore deontic libertarian in other words somebody who thinks that like libertarianism is true is like not just like something that would have good consequences but that it's like you know but it's like right in principle that it's like just wrong to like interfere with the you know the market but then like when the immigration thing came up he was making all these kinds of of uh consequentialist arguments like oh uh immigration has all these bad consequences uh he he said uh it's you know, bad for black people because it like drives their wages down. It's bad for third world countries. Woke mauling you. Holy shit. Really? Yeah. yeah. So this guy's, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, he's a deontic, uh, deontol- deontologist. How do you say that? How do you, well, yeah, who's yeah, somebody yeah, yeah. That's who, right. who That's right. subscribes yep. to deont- deontology? Yeah. But he's like a deontologist but- in the streets and a consequentialist, <laughs> That's right, no, a consequentialist in, the in the sheets. Absolutely. Yeah, so he's yeah. showing his true colors as a consequentialist. Yeah. To- totally. Right. So, you know, like there was a lot else, you know, going on there, of course, right, about like the difference between how libertarians think about freedom and I think the much more meaningful way that socialists do, you know, that really, you know, see it as, as freedom from domination rather than just this kind of legalistic, you know, conception of freedom. 
which is, I think, you know, like if you if you read a book like uh, Marx and Capital, they talk about this a lot, or even like uh, Quentin Skinner talks about this in the Jacobin interview, uh, how like that's a lot of what's driving Marx. So there's a lot of big issues like that, but I also like I, I enjoyed kind of being able to to give him some shit about that. Like at, at the very end, right? I got the last word at the end, you know, say, all right, well, hold on. If I'm understanding Stefan correctly here and he Coup he's saying that we can violate libertarian principles every time doing so uh, is good for um, African-Americans or like the third world, then uh, we disagree about way less than I thought we did. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. So yeah, I, I tuned out. Unfortunately, I didn't have time. This was on Friday night. I watched a little, uh, listened to it a little bit yesterday, but uh, we're, we're recording this on Sunday. It's going to go out in a, in a couple of days time. So everybody has no excuse, uh, but to check out the debate that you did with Stefan Molyneux, we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, you know, not that we want to give Stefan's channel any like, you know, extra traffic, but uh, he did get owned and you guys need to need to bear witness. So we'll, we'll come back to that in just a minute. You've been ruffling a lot of feathers, both on the far right, the libertarian right, and also the liberal center as of late, we're going to talk all about that. But the, the second reason, so anyway, the first reason I think should be obvious to people, something that I've been arguing on DPS since day one, right? Like we have to have the courage, our, cur- a, the courage of our convictions to speak openly and freely about anything that we feel you know motivated to speak openly about. And in, in front of almost anyone, almost anyone, right? There, there are exceptions yeah. there that are strategic sure. exceptions, not exceptions exactly. about like, oh, they're just too bad, capital T, capital B or whatever, right? You know, it's just, it's like a strategic question right more so yeah, than like we're, a, if we're gonna of, say we if we were gonna say we shouldn't debate people because they're terrible people then uh bernie sanders shouldn't have debated joe biden <laughs> right exactly and he also shouldn't have like you know wrecked house when he went on fox and like you know exactly potentially won a, a bunch of new like working class you know blue collar midwest whatever the fuck you know converts to to democratic socialist thought um uh, but you, you know, you've always been one to, to do that and to me like you know the argument that i put forward you know through this through, through this series of of guests and interviews that I did early on in the show. I mean, it's been three years yeah. now. We're going into the fourth year of DPS here. Is was that, you know, the left needs to openly debate, not only to to demonstrate our ideas to the to the external world, but to get them get our own ideas clear for ourselves. Right? That when you shut down debate and when you deplatform, you know, certain figures or certain topics, you also lose the ability to to rationalize for yourself what your positions are. And then you really risk falling into this kind of cargo cult mentality wherein we, we fall prey to magical thinking and, and self-fulfilling prophecies about the trueness and righteousness of our, of our ideas without ever having to defend them to anyone. And it's, it really, it spells the, de- it's the death knell of, of anything resembling a political culture. And oh, absolutely. Plus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it just like, I, I think that, uh, that you can't have, socialism if you don't have if you haven't trained people to carefully think through like you know different arguments for possible courses of action right because if you because like look i mean if you're like a neoliberal centrist then okay fair enough like their whole thing is just like trust us and we'll figure it out right like you know like we're obviously both political junkies but I'm sure, like, uh, like, look, I mean, like, in, in 2016, for example, you know, I was watching the news all the time. I was thinking way too much about the election for, like, a year and a half. And, you know, but, like, I couldn't tell you to save my life exactly what Hillary Clinton's health care plan was. Because she only ever talked about it in the vaguest possible terms. Maybe there was something on her website that you could read. 
But like really her message in practice was, hey, I'm like a, a smart technocrat, as a more recent candidate put it, you know, she's got plans. Uh, and uh, so if you vote for me, then like you can go back home and like watch Netflix and I'll figure it out. Whereas the whole point of socialism is we want like ordinary working people to be able to figure this stuff out for themselves so they can make, you know, so they can collectively make decisions and you're not going to have that without debate. And also it just kind of, it's just kind of embarrassing for, for us on the left. Cause it just kind of makes people stupid. Like yeah, uh, it really does. Yeah. Like, you know, like, like the way that a lot of people somehow seem to simultaneously believe that it's always Germany, 1932, right. We're always just <laughs> barely holding on against. I'm like, a history barbarian. professor. God damn it, Ben. <laughs> I've written 52 peer-reviewed articles about the rise of the Third Reich. <laughs> That's right. I've you seen know, this before. So, like, uh, they constantly yeah, believe the yeah. barbarians are at the gates. We're yeah. just barely holding on. But somehow, at the same time, anytime you, like, go to, like, argue with somebody who disagrees with us about anything, like, basic, they'll say, oh, you don't need to do that because, like, everybody kind of already knows that. Or, like, it's not, like, you know, so it's like, which is it, right? Is it that, like... We've already got the masses on our side, so, like, we don't even need to worry about persuasion or, like, we're, like, just barely holding in against, like, the armies of darkness marching in on us. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, no, this is this is why I fucking love the way that you break this stuff down and, like, it, in very, you know, uh, careful, logically oriented ways. You can't have it both ways. Um, and they're, you know, swinging from one direction, like, wildly to the next depending on whatever it is, you know, whatever kind of way they want to instrumentalize this argument. Um, it's, you know, it, it, and that's it, right? It's it's the instrumentalization of of so-called political arguments, sort of cherry-picked in abstraction from any kind of totality or any kind of organically connected framework of what argumentation is and how it works across different divides and how you actually convince other people who don't have the same context as you, who don't, uh, who don't, circulate in the same tiny little enclaves and networks and echo chambers that you do. And that's not to say, again, like I've got to, yeah. I've got to rebut the objections. That's not <laughs> to say that like, we're going to debate our way to socialism and you know, no, that as well as not. anybody, yeah, you know, you know no. and, and, and I want to give you a chance to, you know, kind of speak to that because, you know, we are like the stone cold rock hard materialists here. You know, we, we work out, we run, we, uh, we lift weights. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but we Nothing are like, more material like, than that. It's almost like there's this race online, like the extremely online leftists that spend too much time on Twitter to be to prove like who's the the realist ass motherfucking you know materialist out there. Like <laughs> no 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 fuck you I'm more materialist you're you know you're you're addicted to the discourse like oh you're addicted to the discourse I'm, yeah. well 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 here's here's a thought about that I think that like the all time unchallenged gold medal like most materialist motherfucker ever is. Karl Marx, and he seems to have spent an awful lot yeah. of time yeah. <laughs> arguing with people to try to persuade them of his ideas. So much like, time. His letters are, you know, if you go through these things, it's just like one diss track after another. It is savage. Like the man, I mean, I got to say, he probably could have taken a chapter from your book. And, you know, we're coming full circle here because I'm getting to my second point kind of in a roundabout accidental way. But like, and I mean it, like you have the courage of your convictions, you take the fight to your adversary in a serious way, you take argumentation seriously. But then the second part is that you always find a way to do it in a very charitable, open and friendly way. And, you know, look, hey, 
a uh, little Maoist self crit. Let's go into the jungle. You ready? And we're going uh, go into the jungle. Nice. Nice. Let's uh, do it. I've got a whip. We're going to stand in a circle <laughs> and we're going to uh, talk about our crimes against the, the, our collective individual crimes and thought crimes against the proletariat. Um, I, myself. God knows there's not enough of that. <laughs> right. Self-flagellation is surely the way to revolution. But no, but but like, look, like, I don't think viewers, listeners will be surprised to hear that, you know, I myself uh, get a little heated sometimes. And, you know, I, I do. You know, I, I have a past. I have a history of being a little hyper emotional about things and, and getting involved and wrapped up into certain kinds of mediums and certain kinds of, you know, technological forms of social organization that that end up sort of unbeknownst to anyone at the outset. They end up in these in these very kind of um, in these hothouse sectarian feuds between people who who are talking past one another and and certainly not uh, working together towards any common goal whatsoever. And it just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that there are these divisions and it's not a result of any kind of movement or there's no rhyme or reason. It's just it's just nasty and it's ugly. And we're going to we're going to talk about this in the second half of today's show about how the left needs to find a way to evolve past these little hothouse sectarian sort of like, uh, you know, cliques that that we've been trapped within for the past well forever since you know I don't know 1905 I guess <laughs> before that actually really if you read Marx 1848 I don't know um, but but you you bring a spirit of like of of not just kindness but also just you're you're incredibly charitable to your adversaries and that's something that I gotta say that I admire and um, I try to I try to you know as I wise up and I mature and I get older and I think about our political prospects and what needs to happen next. I think that we all need a little Ben Burgess inside of us uh, moving forward, you know? And, and, and I mean that seriously, I'm not just gassing you up because uh, you know, you're my co-host now and it's, you know, I'm self-interested to do so, but uh, yeah. Well, I, I, I appreciate that. I mean, God knows I've certainly like, well, look, I mean, you can find, well, you can find at least one example on YouTube uh, of of me, like beta. <laughs> That's the one. Yep, <laughs> beta. <laughs> I, I was actually thinking about that while I was like walking back, like after the run was over, because like, because um, I think that the difference and like this is on this is on me. This is just like me being like an idiot about it, right? Because like I did. Um, like I had no idea who that dude was. Yeah. Okay. L- little you know, context. Before, before, we, we talked before, about before. this the first time you came on the show. So for people who didn't catch uh, the first when you were a guest the first time, get, give a, br- a brief sort of yeah. uh, you know. So summary. so there's so there's this guy. Uh, anybody who's ever um, whoever watched the Boondocks, if you remember Uncle Ruckus <laughs> on the Boondocks, uh, that's more or less Jesse Lee Peterson. He's this like far right wing black reverend who's like got some extremely uh you know like the uh like if it really like he's almost like the uh the, the old Chappelle skit the uh the the like blind black white supremacist yeah, yeah. but uh <laughs> and his uh like his producer Dylan Volk yes that's his last name Volk uh and, uh like reached out to me Jesus. you know like a a on Twitter and he was like hey I'm producer for this like YouTube show and it's got, you know, a hundred zillion, you know, subscribers or whatever. Cause like all of these like right wing clowns, all we all have a hundred zillion subscribers, which by the way is what makes the idea that we should like, you know, really be wringing our hands about platforming them hilarious, right? They have much bigger platforms than we do. 
But anyway, he uh, it's like, oh, so, you know, and he's this like black reverend. He's got like a zillion YouTube subscribers or whatever. He wants you to come on and talk about your book. And at that time, I was like in like really intense book promotion mode. So I was doing podcasts all the time. So I didn't really think anything of it. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Like put it on the, you know, put it on the planner. And then um, I think the night before it finally occurred to me that I should like read his Wikipedia page, like find out who this guy was. (laughs) And I I read enough to know it's like, okay, this is not going to be a friendly interview, right? Like he's got (laughs) some like crazy right wing views. And then I actually show up to the interview and like, I thought that he was going to have crazy right wing views, but we were going to like argue about it. Right. Like we were going to like, you know, he would, he would talk for a little while and I was going to talk for a little while and, you know, like the way these things go. But it, it turns out that what he does is he asks these like crazy, have you stopped beating your wife yet questions? And then you start to say, well, uh, actually I think that's based on a false, you know, premise and he's like, you a beta? Why are you running? Uh, <laughs> so because I didn't come into it thinking that was going to be what it was, then, like, I actually, like, did get, like, pretty mad at him. Like, you can see, you can still watch that on YouTube. I've, I've, I have friends who say, like, they'll get drunk and watch that or like, show that to all their friends. <laughs> Look, you know? I think you were like, relatively, I mean, you were, you were subdued compared. I mean, I would have taken my shirt off and threatened this man to a fist fight, you know, like 10 minutes in, you know, this guy. Anyway, whatever. No, people should check that out. It's hilarious. So for the record, for for, for now and for all time, if you hear me just randomly shout, beta, you'll know why. And that's, you can be in on (laughs) a little joke. Yeah, uh, I I think at the uh, Michael Brooks show, live show in Brooklyn, um, just before the pandemic, like when I came on there, there were people yelling that out. (laughs) That's kind of like, everybody loves that damn video. But uh, but but they're insinuating that you're actually a Chad. So you're the first Chad to ever get (laughs) greeted by shouts of beta. I mean, you're really like, you're breaking the Chad virgin dichotomy in a way. It's like, I got to, it's very commendable. I'm saying, you know? Yeah. Well, you know what I, um, like I I was happy about that. I did this, uh, I had this very brief, exchange with Gavin McGinnis like a couple weeks ago and he was like talked to a few other people before he talked to me and I noticed that like one of the big moves he made when he didn't have a response to what they're saying is he'd either ask people if like uh, he'd ask them like how old they were or like other questions about their life and so I at least like at least I was listening I was like all right like at least at least I know that you can't do that right because like because they'll be like yeah um um I'm 40. I'm married. I've got a job. I mean, what's, what's your next question? Right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you've been researching your enemies. You know, the traps. I want to talk yeah, more but, about but, the Molyneux but, debate but, here in a second. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, look, man, I mean, like I've certainly, you can probably find, right. I mean, I've got one of those programs set up that automatically deletes tweets. that are more than a couple weeks old anyway. You know, I've had that for like a year. Yeah. Cause like smart, I know I, I just don't like, you know, I don't want to make it easy for like, you know, the idiots who want to like research old tweets that they can like craft a narrative out of. Take but out of like, context. There's nothing you good know, that can come from that. But like, I'm sure even within any two week period, right, you can like see examples of me like getting frustrated at people and, and be like, uh, because like, you know, like just the internet being what it is, it's just this like nonstop cavalcade oh, yeah. Yeah. of like the most like, uncharitable humanly possible interpretations of everything and at a certain point you just snap and you're like oh my god are you this much of an idiot you don't understand that i'm not actually saying 
whatever the hell it is that like they're saying that I've said, but like, but I, I, I think, but, but yeah, I mean, I think that like most times I do, I do try to try to do this. And like, even with somebody like, I know you want to get back to Molyneux, you know, like somebody like that, right? Like, I think I'm actually more likely to get annoyed with leftists who are being ridiculous than like some like evil clown, like Molyneux, who's like this, like, this just like weird, like half libertarian, half fascist circus act, you know, I'll be like, all right, you know, like I can keep my cool when I'm talking to him. Cause it's like, you know, whatever he's going to say what he's going to say, you know, but like the point of this is not, and this is something people all really like all the time, like when, when they're like, Oh my, you know, why would you debate, you know, somebody like, the, you know, you know, you're never going to convince them. It's like, yeah, the, the purpose of a debate isn't to convince the person you're talking to right like that's you know like it's uh no this is worth talking about because i mean this is right in queue with we can we can drop the fact that you are uh are are one of the nicest fucking guys on the left and uh you know you you won't you won't take claim to it so i'll just uh i'll crown you and we'll move on but back to the first point is that i think people confuse this a lot a lot of debates that we should walk away from for our own fucking sanity if nothing else what i used to tell people all the time is like i don't debate to try to convince the other person you're not gonna you're not gonna win that battle that battle right uh two other reasons though Number one, lurkers, lurkers yep. and audience members. You have to demonstrate to them, even if they don't understand what you're saying, uh, you have to at least in that moment demonstrate to them that that the ideas are being presented with uh, by your adversary are not unassailable. That there is an alternate, there's an alternate, you know, there's an alternate realm of of ideas and rebuttals and thought that you know, and and that's huge, you know. I mean, especially to a young mind, mm-hmm. young minds, you know, we all were raised by. Certain you know, with certain ideologies and certain environments by certain parents and certain, you know, schooling perhaps. And, and we can all remember the one or two moments, you know, that were very, very transformative where suddenly a new universe was opened up to us. And, you know, coming up on a debate like that, you know, you might say like, wait a minute. I always thought that leftists were these kind of whiny, entitled, privileged, you know, um, like college, purple haired, college assholes. But here's this guy like who's very strident in his in his leftism, but you know he's you know refuting all of those stereotypes and, and giving me a, a picture of the world that like makes sense to me. Like, damn, like I didn't know that was a thing. I think that's really important, you know. And then and then the second point is the one we've already talked about, which I think is perhaps even more important in a sense, which is that this is how you develop your ideas, right? This is how yes. you refine yes. what you think because you don't know what you think until you're challenged and you have to explain it to others. So talk to, exactly. talk to us a little bit about like that aspect of like how you are like, I remember like, cause I'm a Chad, right? We've already established this. I'm yes, like yes, super right. Chad, like, right. God, like yes. even perhaps one might say, uh, <laughs> uh, some to, to quote our friend, Michael Brooks, some have said it. I'm just saying, um, That's right. it's been said, uh, I played football in high school. And, uh, you know, above the locker room door, there's like, as iron sharpens iron, right? Like, uh, I don't know, you get bang, bang your head against your teammates and get uh, CTE together or something, I guess is what it's, what they're getting at. But, uh, <laughs> but, but that's what this is, right? It's like iron sharpening iron. The, the, the point of debate and like real argumentation is to, to yeah. thoroughly work out all of your weaknesses and all of your positions. And how does like, how does argumentation with people like Molyneux and McGinnis help you towards that, that aim? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that oftentimes, uh, and this is good because this is one of the answers. I don't think it's the only answer, but it's one of the answers to something that a lot of a lot of leftists are preoccupied uh, with, and they'll often bring up in this context, which is, oh, but hold on, how can you, 
have a debate with somebody who's like acting in bad faith. And part of the part of the answer, I mean, like, well, part of the answer is I think we should all just be a little bit less obsessed with like mind reading other people's motivations because like that's just not really that productive. Like who's acting in good faith and who's right. acting in bad faith. I think if you just kind of forgot about that and just like worried about like who was right and if they're wrong, why are they wrong? You know, then like that would be much more helpful. But also like, all right, you know, if somebody is like a, a completely like sleazy intellectual duke, you know, used car salesman and they're just making sophistical arguments, that doesn't mean, oh, never mind, don't bother, right? Because one, go back to your point about the lurkers, they they take a lot of people in. And I don't think we should think that we're not good materialists if we recognize that just having material interests that are aligned with socialism is not necessarily good enough to convince somebody that we're right, right? I mean, like, again, go back to Marx, the ruling ideas of any society, the ideas of the ruling class. like, and, and Or just go, forget Marx for a second, just like do the thing that like often in those moments of frustration we were talking about earlier, like I started telling people to do, which is like, okay, if you're scandalized by whatever we're talking about, just like go out into the streets or not now, but you know, when the, when the pandemic's over, right. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cough on your neighbor and ask him about socialism. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, go out to the streets and just like talk to some random people who don't think about politics all the time and like see what their opinions are. And, you know, if you're like scandalized by whatever minor deviation from like in-group orthodoxy, you're like mad about on Twitter right now, you're going to be amazed at what everybody else says, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, if you're mad about like the way that, you know, I referred, whatever, you know, people didn't use the right buzzword of the day or whatever, go, yeah, hit the streets and, and, and chat with your neighbors and, and see what they're all about. It's, um, it's astonishing. So. Exactly. Kind of bring you back down to reality, right? Right. Totally. Forcing yourself in conversation with with someone that doesn't share the same suppositions and the same, you know, linguistic norms and almost like a real. There's a religiosity to the language, right? That that you adopt as as a part of, even like even in the best way, right? Even in the most charitable interpretation of being on the left, like we we do have things that we say that mean things to us that don't mean shit to anybody else. Think about right, like hegemony, like hegemony, yeah, right. <laughs> like whatever the fuck. I just, I just watched Chris Maizano on the uh, stay at home lectures that yeah. Jacqueline's putting out on hegemony. And that one's really, really good. People should check out Chris uh, talking about Gramsci and the true meaning of hegemony. So anybody who knows about Gramsci and hegemony and what that means. And you just mentioned the prevailing ideas of any society or those of the ruling class that has to do with hegemony, a big part of it. There's more it has to do with institutions and all the rest of it. But yeah, so we can argue about what that means. On the left, but it's still like it's something that we understand. Uh, but go into the world and start talking about, yeah, yeah, we really need to, you know, take on hegemony or whatever. People look at you cross-eyed, like, what the fuck are you saying right now? And that brings us back to arguing with uh, these reactionary sophists because, like, if you just run into somebody who's going to say, yeah, that's just nonsense, right? What, what what are you talking about hegemony, right? That's 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 just crap, right? Like that, like then like, and you have to like respond to their argument you know even if it's a bad faith argument even if it's like a sloppy argument right just figuring out the respects in which it's sloppy and how you could respond to it will actually help you sort out in your head what you actually think about this right like if, if somebody like and this isn't that different in a way right i mean i know that this is one of those things that like out of context i could totally imagine some people's reaction to this but like you know but if but like 
you know, in a way it's not that different, right? I mean, you know, you, you know, you actually like escaped, but like, you know, but you, you, you were, you know, a graduate student, right? You've been around academia. So I'm sure you've had the same experience, which is that like when you're like taking like a grad seminar or something and you're like writing like a term paper, oftentimes the best ones come when you like maybe read something for class or run into something that just seems obviously wrong to you. And I say, but then like, it's easy to just like sort of, you know, to just like talk to your friends who agree with you and like, just like make fun of something that seems obviously wrong to you and you know, whatever, I'm not above that, but like, uh, but it's much, but like once like it actually starts bugging you, it's like, okay, how do I actually explain exactly what's wrong with this or why it's wrong? It helps you figure out like your own, your own perspective. And oftentimes in the process of like making that argument against it, the relationship between ideas, you know, becomes uh, much clearer to you. Right. So, um, well, to maybe uh, give a little thing, you know, that I'm sure we'll go back to later to contextualize something we're going to talk about later. Right. If you think about like the sort of debate about like uh, market socialism and planning and all that stuff, I think the first time I heard, as a you know earnest young Marxist about like I, I think the first time I heard the combination of words market socialism, you know I was I was horrified right you know because like markets are bad right you know that's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but then like once you start thinking but then like I think once I kind of actually got to the point where I was like encountering and thinking about you know libertarian or even like centrist like arguments. Uh, against socialism and you know calculation problem and all the stuff like that, and then like one of the things that made me realize was that I had been a active and enthusiastic socialist for years, while having only the vaguest idea of how socialism would or even could work, or or right? even like, how capitalism would and even does work. Absolutely, you know? I mean right? that's the big both part, of those right? things. You yeah, know, understanding the contradictions of it in terms of tra- yeah, I mean. Yeah, one hundred percent. And you and I came came up on the left like around the same times, and this these were the questions that people weren't you know people weren't thinking about taking power in in very pragmatic and practical, no. realistic ways. Um, it was very it was I mean it was, essentially it was messianic, and, and it was you know I mean in, in many ways. I don't mean to you know denigrate the people who did the hard work and carried the torch in a very difficult period, but sure. messianism. And and now that we've we've totally. broken out of that, like it's huge. And and like look, I you know and this gets and again I'm going to gas you up a little bit more here. Like, but, but seriously, and this is, I've been thinking so much about this and I've been very candid about this for patrons on B sides. I've been very uh, candid sometimes even on a sides uh, for the, for the general audience. And um, I've been struggling over the past couple of months with, you know, you know, I think everyone has, if they're open about this, well, what do you do about um, the, the X, you know, the, this, the sound resounding defeat of Bernie Sanders, a lot of us Mm, even knew what happened. But this has been our focus. Like we've had, we've been laser focused on this moment for three to four years now. And what do you do, even though you knew all of the weaknesses and all of the contradictions and all of the ways that this thing was booby trapped and all of the, all of the, um, the vulnerabilities of our, of the materiality of our program, right? Our ideology is very well represented. We're very represented on Twitter, you know? (laughs) Uh, but, uh, but beyond that, right? Like in the institutions and in broader, you know, normie society, like we're, we're virtually, non-existent in a lot of areas. And I, so we all knew this, right? And even if he got into office, there were a number of challenges and pitfalls and traps that I've been talking about endlessly and breathlessly for the past three years at DPS, even still, 
here we are. What do we do now? Right? What do we do now? And 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 one of the things that you know has really struck me is is thinking about how to do what a lot of other commentators have been talking about as well. And I, I post this for patrons, a little pitch here. Patrons of the Dead Punnett Society get access to segments that I call in case you missed it. And people should uh, definitely think about joining the Patreon because not only we get access to B-sides, which will be coming out with Ben and myself and other guests uh, every week, but you'll get access to those in case you missed it. And um, that segment gives me a chance to repost with permission audio from other settings that I didn't participate in. I didn't record it. I didn't you know, uh, facilitate it. Um, and one of those uh, recordings came from um, an educational programming event that uh, that the Lower Manhattan branch of DSA and Philly DSA collaborated on. And shouts out to those people, uh, particular, particularly a uh, listener, Carissa Smith, who did a bang up job at moderating that particular event that I'm talking about. I posted it for patrons. It was a presentation from um, Anton Yeager and Dustin Guastella. And they talked about kind of broke down the post Bernie moment. And one of the things that Dustin and Anton were talking quite a bit about is is how to translate our, our potential into real material, institutional, and organizational strength. And that's what we haven't been able to do yet. And the Bernie miracle has faded and, and we need to figure out what to do now. And, and, you know, one of the things that Dustin said there is like the left for too long has just been like a litany, a litany of offenses. And, and that's, and you know, it struck me because I was like, you know, I, I've said this to people uh, in the past, whereas like I as, as a podcast host, as someone who generates content, who thinks a lot about topics, I, I'm the one who's historically invited the guests. Um, you know, you're going to be collaborating and doing a lot more of that stuff in the future. But, you know, I've thought a lot about like, what do I want on the show? And what do I, most importantly, what do I not want on the show? And a lot of what I haven't wanted is this like, <clears throat> oh, oh God, can you believe the libs did the thing again with the stuff? <laughs> you know, oh, oh God, they, how many people were, oh, so many people are unemployed and oh, all the homeless people and they're going hungry. It's just like, I get it. I'm as disgusted and horrified and, and appalled at a, at a deep moralistic level as anyone. But we just have to go beyond talking to ourselves and amongst ourselves about the horrors and, and the, the sort of already agreed upon um, kind of premises that and look, you know, I'm, I'm going to be open about this. A lot of our friends do this and they do, they do it very, very well. And honestly, I don't, I don't try to own the libs because there are a lot of people out there who are way better at it than me. <laughs> they do a very, very good job of owning the libs. That's, that's the other, that's the, that's the 51% of the reason why I don't try to own the libs. The 49% is because I'm, I really do think we need to go beyond that. We need to own the libs and then present our arguments in a way that transcends our, our um, kind of internal left culture in a way that can really convince people and, and produce some outreach. That seems to be at yeah. the center of your approach. Yeah. I mean, right. I mean, like the, uh, the very like, and, and look, don't get me wrong. I've, 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 I've done my share of participating in, in lib ownership. Oh, I love it. Like, yeah. I'm know, thinking about a couple like, of retweets I just made today. And I'm like, damn it, Adam, you, you own the libs at least twice today. What, what the fuck are you yeah, saying yeah. right now? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, maybe what I'm saying is more aspirational. Let's, let's, yeah, let's, sure, let's say sure. that. It's, it's a good, it's a good <laughs> aspiration, right? Like, like, yeah. And cause it's like so hard. I mean, it's it's hard not to own the libs because they're such an invited target. But um, and you know, I've done plenty of it. And, and like, I I don't know that I want to go totally cold turkey. But like, one very like pithy Twitter friendly way to make the point is like, what if we learned worried less about 
owning the libs and more about radicalizing the libs, like a, or a different way to, and you know, and I, I should put in some caveats there because I, I could see somebody hearing that and thinking like, oh, Ben yeah, like yeah, doesn't yeah. understand the difference, but you know, like I get it, right? Like, yeah. Oh, and, um, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting, just like play, you, play. I am not suggesting we play patty cake with the libs. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. What uh, I'm suggesting I, I, is that that form of presentation of leftist ideas to other leftists produces a hyper internal culture. Absolutely. A very internal culture that forgets how to defend itself and justify its positions to outsiders. Exactly. Like if, if all you do is mock people with bad, bad positions, uh, which again, I'm I'm not above that, but like uh, if that's, if that's like your main form of engagement and, and look, don't get me wrong. Like there are plenty of like, even on the grassroots level, right? There, there are plenty of people who are liberals who are like always going to be liberals in some form because they're, they're well, because like, uh, on a material level, right? They're the professional managerial class and they have, uh, and, and they're, and they, they just totally identify with that worldview and like nothing's going to shake them from it. But plenty of working class people are libs. That's also, that's also just like the, the ugly reality, right? That like, uh, in fact, go back to the thing about talk to your neighbors when this is over. And I, I think you'll be surprised how many, you know, you'll be surprised how, how soon you see like, kind of being a liberal is the best case scenario for a lot of totally. people, right? Like, uh, yeah. but, uh, but look, so like anybody else, like, like right wingers for that matter, right? Like, I think there are people who for a combination of economic and psychological reasons are right wingers, but are persuadable, right? Uh, I think there are people who are liberals who for the same combination of murky reasons, and we could do a whole episode on like the mechanics of persuasion and what the limitations are with people's economic interests, and I'm sure we probably actually will do that episode sometime. Oh, but sure. uh, but like, but the larger problem besides the fact that like I think we should be worried more about like persuading the persuadable, even if we don't think that's the majority group, right? Like I don't think we're in any position to like turn up our noses at uh, at like finding people wherever we can. Yeah. Right? Uh, but ninety five percent of the uh, population, yeah, we, we need them. I would say, perhaps yes, that. That's right. That's right. Like, and, and yeah, and, and that always amazes me when like people, cause like even like forget the libs, like people who are like kind of conservative, like when people think that like we can like achieve minimal social democracy, never mind socialism without any kind of making any kind of inroads in this entire like chunk of the population. That just seems insane to me. And, you know, I'm sure we'll get to that, but like, but I also, but I mean, as far as the larger point you're raising, right? Like this is really important because if your main mode of engagement is, you know, mockery and and like whatever. I mean, I've I've been listening to, you know, Chapo Trap House twice a week since 2016. Like I I I, I enjoy it, right? But if, if that's like if that kind of mode is your only mode, one like really important danger of that is that like then you actually, you don't even really know how to talk to people who you think might be persuadable and you never, and when, and then like even forget like outreach to others, like even just in terms of internal differences. Internal right? differences. I mean, yeah. And justifying like, your own program to yourself and people, you know, with whom you allegedly share it with. Let, let's, let's look at a historical uh, allegory here. Uh, you like me probably were a big fan of John Stewart's daily show back in the day. I was. Yeah. 
So I have a, I have a blue collar kind of working class upbringing, country Appalachian upbringing. But I got to say, you know, when uh, John Stewart took over for C- Craig Kilborn on The Daily Show, yeah. like, that was a transformative moment in my politics because Absolutely. I was getting old enough to start thinking about this stuff a little more seriously. And and he, he brought a, a certain kind of like edgy liberalism to the fore that like, you know, I hadn't really experienced before. Some people were bo- were red diaper babies. Some people were born with a socialist spoon in their mouth, as I like to joke about. I was not. And so for me, John Stewart's, you know, uh, daily, you know, analysis was like fucking earth shattering. And But 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 then look what happened, right? Now, I, I will still yeah. defend the certain kind of radicalism of John Stewart in that moment, even though like he fucking deified John McCain, even though he was like, you know, an asshole about terrorism and and all the rest of it. I mean – yeah. We'd spend all day, right? Uh, yeah, or, sure. You know, criticizing Stuart and that brand of liberalism. But in that moment, it was it was very raw and it spoke to people. But then look what happened over the years. It just became this kind of internal like um, lulling at the rubes, right? You know, which and, and again, that was a that that's I could tell by the the grin that you just I, people can't see our video feed here, obviously, that, <laughs> that you could tell that maybe I was going after Chapo there. I wasn't going after Chapo there, people. There's no hate between myself and Chapo or anybody else who routinely and hilariously owns owns the libs. It's just that look what happened after 10 to 15 years of this kind of hegemonic uh, form of yeah. media liberalism, just owning the rubes on John Stewart and chuckling to themselves about oh, 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 these idiots are not nearly as refined as we are. Now look, now you've got fucking SNL. You've got these windbags, you know, um trying to lampoon Trump out of office and and they're powerless to this complete like onslaught of conservative hegemony that is sweeping our country in, in every way, shape, and form. And the liberals have their heads up their asses. They can't even justify their positions to themselves, much less others. Yeah, this is uh, well. Actually, a lot of what you're just talking about is what the um, uh, the last the, the the final section of my new book is about. Uh, there's there's a whole kind of riff about the uh, about John Stewart and the uh, rally to restore sanity. If you remember that, I, did, and, yeah. uh, I was there uh, leafleting uh, socialist uh, socialism literature. <laughs> uh, didn't get a great response, so it turns out people were just drunk you and were, wanted to have uh, the time. But were, were you at the ISO at this point? Yeah, or? yeah. 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 No, I, 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 I too am very briefly a veteran of that. That was um, like his, uh, what they'll do or what they did, you know, and I, 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 you know, I, there are people who are, well, actually it doesn't even exist anymore. So I'm, I'm like hesitating about like trash talking an organization that literally does no longer exist. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, but like. Too ethical but, you know, Burgess. There were yeah. uh, feel there, there, feel the hate come to the dark side, <laughs> <laughs> but but there were there were people you know like when I was a uh, I was an adjunct at Rutgers for three and a half years and I was I was very ad- active in the uh, in the adjunct union I was on the board of it for uh, for like a couple of years and uh, and you know there were some like ISO people who were like good trade unionists who were involved in that and like I've, I've, I I I think the world of those people. Uh, but like they, they did this, you know, their MO at least at one time is like, if, if you like had like a 30 second conversation with them, they'd like dig out a membership card and hand it to yeah, you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I gotta say, man, I will t- look like I have been a very critical, uh, I've been a critic, let's say of the ISO on air yeah. in public and they no longer exist. A lot of people who I used to be critical of have had a, a series of come to Jesus moments, at least for now. 
Uh, some of them I still vehemently disagree with them, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, hopefully, maybe we can have them on the show sometime, and we can actually have a good debate. I mean, hell, if you can debate Stefan Molyneux, surely we can debate like a a, a good trot, <laughs> right? A good solid yeah, Trotskyist, totally. you know, with whom we might disagree in, or about certain things. So, looking forward to that. But you know, God damn it, if if I don't wish that we didn't have that same spirit about just going out to bus stops and leafleting working class people on their way home about socialism. Like that's what we used to do in the ISO. We used to go to Metro and subway stops and bus stops and just hand out newspaper and socialist literature to like working class everyday people. And sure, most of them turn their nose at us. Yes. A lot of them thought we were cultists because it was like 2008 sure. and who even <laughs> knew what the fuck this stuff was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, and even before then, you know, um, but, but like, you know, what it forced you to do is get out there and listen to people because they sure as shit don't have like ready made and coherent political positions to offer you, uh, you know, and you have which, to craft arguments that make sense to regular working class people. And that's something that it, even now I don't yeah, see enough totally. of the DSA. And I know I just said the DSA. Did you hear that? Damn it. Yeah. Don't, you, you know how, you know, somebody doesn't like DSA. They say, the DSA. <laughs> the DSA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like that little weird subconscious tick where you like distance yourself from something by by putting the definite article in front of it. Like the way like, you know, you could always tell somebody who's really racist when they said the blacks. Yeah, my uncle says the homosexuals. Yeah, it's like, oh, <laughs> that's, you're not going to say something nice next, are you? Yeah. 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 I, 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 I um, <laughs> you know, I continue to uh, – I continue to pay dues to the DSA. I'm not especially interested at this point in doing things like going to meetings, but um, I, I've I've got some, you know. Well, anyway, yeah. I, I this is also something I, I get into extensively. In it's the in book, the book. It's in the book, people. We're going to talk more about this book, um, canceling comedians. Uh, we got the tentative title for that book, by the way. Yeah, it occurs uh, to me we never finished your introduction at the opening oh, of this of this of this episode. We're all over the place, know, but it's been fun. And we've got to be getting close to the end of the A side. Yeah, so. we're, we're at the end here for sure. So, really quickly, uh, give us a, a brief introduction of your credentials, your books, and, and all that stuff. If somebody's been, you know, hiding underground for the past couple of years, sure. So, I'm a philosophy instructor. I did, um, you know, I did a PhD that had to do with like super obscure stuff. I'm not going to get into here, but like, you know, but it was, it was about logical paradoxes. And so, and there's this book that's like an academic book that I wrote about that, which I have been dragging my feet on like even revising because it like takes so much time for like literally like two years. But, uh, (laughs) but anyway, when I was writing that book and I was like posted about it on social media a lot, uh, our mutual friend Doug Doug Lane, the editor of Zero Books, asked if I wanted to write a book for for them about uh, about logic and politics. And when he first pitched, I was kind of like, I don't really even know what that would look like, right? I, I don't know. And then, like, the more I thought about it, the more I started to think that there was like a need for this. And so I wrote a book called Give Them an Argument: uh, Logic for the Left, which is sort of an attempt to both kind of convince people that it's important to get the arguments right and that this is something that that they should care about and also to be sort of like an informal logic textbook oriented towards like left and you know left wingers and then since and like there's a lot of stuff in there about like okay 
the difference between why we should care about getting the arguments against bad positions right and thinking that you can debate your way to socialism and, you know, yeah, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, the book's not what it sounds like, logic for the left. I'll, I'll, I'll be a, a quick little candid moment. I told you this when I had you on the show the first time. You, you've been a guest uh, at least twice. Yeah, at least twice. Uh, but when Doug presented the idea of having you on my show and he told me about this book, I hadn't met you. I didn't know your writing. I didn't know your book. I didn't know you from Adam. Uh, and he was like, hey, this guy wrote a book about logic. And I was like, yeah, I don't really know about that, man. Thanks. Thanks anyway, Doug. <laughs> and I, I got to be honest. I had to listen. I had to listen to a couple like I saw you on the Michael Brooks show, you know, and you still have a segment on, on Brooks, obviously, with a debunk segment that everybody should check out. And I saw you uh, maybe maybe even one other place before. Finally, I was like, you know what? This motherfucker's onto something. <laughs> this guy, this guy's really like he's opening my mind to to this idea that like that, you know, logic doesn't have like an, any necessary sort of like political trajectory the way that the libertarian right would like us to believe that it does. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, so anyway, I wrote that book. And then, um, as you mentioned, like since this kind of developed while I was promoting the book, you know, so I do the segment on the Michael Brooks show, The Debunk. And I'm also a columnist for uh, Jacobin. Yeah which uh, I understand from some tweets I've seen recently means that I've been funded by the CIA. <laughs> uh, so that's pretty cool. You know, I've, I've been watching the Americans. I've always kind of, you know, like I, 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 I see the, you know, romanticism of, of getting to be involved in, you know, an intelligence agency like that. They wear nice suits. Did you get, uh, did you get those things tailored? You gotta, you gotta hook me up. Um, I'm yeah, just trying absolutely. to look sharp coming out of this pandemic, you know? <laughs> Yeah, so you're also writing another book, then, right? I, you you generously gave me the manuscript. I'm looking it over. Um, I get an advanced copy of this book. Uh, when is that going to come out? And uh, talk about the argument there. We already teased it. It's uh, canceling comedians. You're weighing in on this kind of like uh, censorious deplatforming strand of the the liberal left. First of all, why do you hate yourself? And why do you, why do you want to make the next couple of years of your life miserable? Uh, <laughs> and then secondly, uh, tell us about the argument you're making there. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So the, the book canceling comedians while the world burns a critique of the contemporary left. And basically it arises from some, uh, some deep frustration that, that I felt in the last couple of years since I've been doing more of this public facing kind of political work, uh, you know, because, because before that, you know, I would go to, you know, I'd, I'd go to DSA meetings and stuff. I would see, I would see some of, you know, some of this, not think about some of this, but like it didn't bug me quite as much. And then, Basically, I've observed a lot of things in the last in the last couple of years through, you know, promoting the first book and like just kind of going out and interacting and like just just being like, I mean, whatever. This is all very like relative to, you know, we said earlier, every right wing asshole has like 10 billion you know, subscribers. Right. So like but like just a big enough fish in the small pond of the far left to have the spotlight on me for like a lot of like people who think that, you know, I have been incorrect in some way and need to be corrected. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, I think that, you know, you said that like, okay, so like the sort of censoriousness 
of the liberal left, and uh, and and I do spend some time in the book talking about you know liberalism. There's there's a, this whole thing about John Stewart and the way that I think that a lot of um, a lot of liberals' minds have been kind of broken by this kind of model of politics that they get from like the West Wing or like that uh, or like the general cultural memory of 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 the end of the McCarthy hearings. You know, have you no decency, sir? Uh, where basically they think if somebody gives like a really stirring, really eloquent speech, that'll just kind of make their political enemies disappear. And then there's even this version that's transferred to comedy where they think like, okay, if, if, uh, if John Oliver really gives, you know, drumpf, you know, like a, a savage enough comedic (laughs) takedown, then, then, then that'll just kind of make Trump go away. (laughs) <laughs> so Alex like, Baldwin's, you know, uh, <laughs> Trump, you know, imitation just savaged him. Uh, you know, like, come on, you know, I, this this man is he's untouchable <laughs> when for when it comes to like liberal cultural, you know, takedownism or whatever. Um, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So like that's that's liberalism. But then I think a big part of the problem, I do think it's worth even being strategic about how we how we put this point because. Like, I think if you think about, like, uh, Mark Fisher's uh, classic essay, actually, The Vampire's Castle, which, you know, is certainly one of the touchstones for the book. uh, In there, he talks about, like, the way that a lot of, like, the sort of pathology of left Twitter works is that there's always this jump from you you did X bad thing, right? Or you – usually it's you said X bad thing to – Therefore, you are in your innermost essence, bad thing X, bad. right? You know, that, very bad. You know, capital V, capital B. And, 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 and like there's there's a way that like people who, who are making the kind of critique that I'm interested in making, that you've been making on the show for years, of of like the things that the left gets wrong, there's a there's a there's a kind of temptation I think we need to avoid uh to sort of become this weird mirror image of what we're trying to fight against totally. where, Absolutely. where we, you know, we sort of get obsessed with fighting this stuff to the point where it defines us. And, and well, you know, I, I say these gonna... people have taken up shop in the basement of the vampire's castle. Exactly. The very, I mean, exactly. I'm going to, I'm going to lay claim to that one. Trademark. That's mine. Nobody out there, uh, cl- you know, claim it later on and then, uh, you know, argue that I'm, I've given up the faith or whatever in this like constant, incessant, like feedback loop of like, no, I'm the real exeter of the vampire's castle. No, I am. And it's like, no, 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 none of you are. You've just (laughs) set up shop in the basement of the vampire's castle because you define your, anytime you, I mean, you're a philosophy guy, you can do this much more succinct than me. So help me out after I, after I bumble through this, anytime you define yourself against something, you are permanently caught up in relation to the thing that you allegedly suppose it's uh, oppose rather. And so therefore exactly. you, you rely on that for your existence. It's your existential sort of um, other, right? Exactly. You're, you're so, locked so, in a tragic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like I, since, since I don't want to do that, right. Like I, I try to avoid doing too much, like kind of, labeling of um of the people that I'm, I'm criticizing here because for one thing i think a lot of people are just like to use a technical philosophy term they're just really fucking confused right like they <laughs> they, they, they don't know like they've they've got some 
they've got some good impulses. They've got some some very not good impulses, and it's it's just kind of a mess. And what what we want to do is work with them and like try to you know try to like try to persuade them that they're doing things badly instead of just like defining them as our permanent enemy who we can like you know have this like weird like dysfunctional symbiotic relationship with. So, um, so all that throat clear and done, I think a big part of the problem and a big part of what I'm objecting to in the book is that it's not just the liberal left, right? If it were just the liberal left, then it'd be like, all right, well, you know, liberalism sucks. We already knew this, right? Like that's, that's, I, I don't know how, um, I don't know how like much that sort of project of 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 like showing that it sucked would engage me. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, but but what I'm concerned with is that a lot of this shit has infected the socialist left. Yeah. Well, see, I was using and, liberal left advisedly and somewhat, um, <laughs> somewhat. <laughs> yeah, I was using it advisedly because I would suggest that maybe those people uh, who are um, purportedly on the socialist left who are falling prey to some of these things are actually in in their actions quite liberal in their, in the way that they're framing problems and, and individuals and, and think and thought. Um, so yeah, no, but you, but that's your, your distinction there is really important because I think that's, that's our biggest problem right now. Um, I think as a left, so yeah, go on. Yeah. So, 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 well, I'll just give two examples that are both from earlier in the book. Um, the, the one that in some ways is one of the things that kind of inspired it, right. Is, at the, you know, we were talking about, you know, socialist organizations earlier and uh, we're both, um, you know, we're both ex-ISO in my case from a very long time ago uh, and, you know, and, and very briefly and we've both been involved in the DSA and, you know, I, I think you just completely got out of Dodge as far as the DSA goes and, and, and I've, you know, maintained that although much less actively, you know, than, than I used to be. But in any case, last August at the uh, DSA convention in Atlanta, you know, Tucker Carlson, who in what's probably a futile effort not to be understood, uh, misunderstood, I want to emphasize is bad. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> let, let's, let's, let's recite the catechism, as I always have to do on the show. I just wrapped up uh, the second uh, the second anti-essentialism series, uh, part two. You know, and uh, I had to do the catechism on the air with Adolf Reed uh, Jr. So we're <laughs> going to do it here. Let's cross ourselves. I think yeah. it's uh, I think Adolf's a good Catholic, yeah, and his son Toure yeah. is a good Catholic. Well, they're all bad Catholics. Who are we kidding? But yeah, yeah. yeah. well, well, I liked his uh, his line. Um, <laughs> Reed had a really good interview on the Michael Brooks show. I don't know, sometime last year, where he uh, he was talking about how a lot of the stuff that we're talking about right now, right? He was complaining about, and he was saying that like. You know, this stuff is just too Protestant for me. <laughs> it's like, true. <laughs> it's, yeah, you know, it's true. And you know, and and the and he had a great line at the end about how you have to either raise your kids Catholic or Jewish because otherwise there's too much of a chance that they'll like uh grow up to be genuinely religious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh but uh but yeah, look, you know, I think that so so Tucker Carlson's a bad person, right? He's 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 a very ugly, xenophobic right wing demagogue. Uh, he's also somebody who is unfortunately right. More's the pity, right? Because because we live in a fallen world, you know. To go back to the Catholicism, uh, you know, I'm an atheist, but uh, <laughs> the, uh, but look, more's the pity. Tucker Carlson is also one of the people with the biggest megaphones in in like the world of media, right? Like he he has a tremendous reach. Lots of people watch him who don't necessarily agree with him about everything. 
if you think that everybody who watches Tucker Carlson is like a member of the clan or something, then then you're you need to get out more. Right. Yeah. Um Perhaps you need and, to talk across the dinner table at Thanksgiving or some shit. Right? Like, exactly. I mean, it seems to me, at least based on statistics, you don't even talk to your own fucking family members. Exactly. So like, bizarre. like, like you really literally don't even need to talk to your neighbors. Like just talk to more people in your own family and, and you'll probably find this out. And so Tucker Carlson had a lot of fun with this DSA convention in Atlanta. Cause what he did is he, he found some clips and you know, he was cherry picking, right? He's bad, but the thing is, there was plenty there for him to cherry pick um, of just just this bizarre nonsense, like people being told that uh, they can't clap because it's like ableist, because uh, some people might have some like very rare noise, you know, perception problems or or uh, they like he's like giving all these uh, or like there's a point where later on somebody is saying that, you know, that for the same sorts of reasons, right. You know, that you can't have cross talk, right. You know, everybody has to be, you know, sit there and be quiet. Everybody else is talking, but like the no, the no cross talk guy started his tirade with the phrase, Hey guys. So not to be outdone, somebody else in the audience (laughs) said, please don't use gendered language. (laughs) It's just um, this constant hyper competitive PMC oriented one upsmanship, you know. Exactly. It's, and you know, and, and just to just to complete the catechism, right? Reasonable accommodation of the disabled is a good thing, right? Um reasonable accommodation that comes from like a scientific and therapeutically grounded right. sense, <laughs> right. right? Like not like this kind of ad hoc sort of uh paste uh, paint by numbers understanding of like psychology that comes from like, you know, perusing like Tumblr for, you know, several weeks during your preteen exactly. years or whatever, right? Exactly. Like, I mean, this is this is not a joke, right? Like like um a neuro atypicality, as I talked about on a B side very recently with uh, Anders Lee, fellow podcaster and comedian, uh, who himself is uh, on on the so called autism spectrum. You know, we talked about that a lot. This is really important shit, right? This is not something we sure. just leave up to like Twitter definitions, right? And if, exactly. when people need real accommodations, they need real therapy. If someone is traumatized and has PTSD, like there's a rational and very serious and sane and humane argument to make that these people should not be unleashed into the broader public before they're ready, right? Like it's, it's irresponsible. It's unethical. It's anti-scientific. And so like, that's, you know, and it, there's my catechism. There's my crossing. Yeah, myself, no, no, you know, no, like, no, absolutely. You know, know. I, I, absolutely. But like, here's here's the point, right? Like, like, uh, like, yes. First of all, if absolutely, if we're going to, if we're going to do things like this, I would like these to be grounded in the feedback of like medical professionals, yeah. not like random, like you know, scolds, you know, yeah, who exactly. who like can like prove something by you know, by doing this and also, but what bugs me even more than the fact that, okay, yes, reasonable accommodation is good. Uh, dialing the accommodation up to 11 as if there's like nothing else that has to be balanced against is less good. But also the two things that, that really struck me about this are, okay, one, how did Tucker get these clips, right? Did he just like send some people in, 
like the like uh, the Breitbart guy, like going into Acorn with like hidden cameras or whatever. No, DSA was streaming this live, which they announced at the beginning, right? That they were putting this on the internet. Everybody in that room knew that this was going out to the world in general, and nobody had the thought, huh? How would this read to anybody who wasn't completely immersed in the subculture of the left? Because to any ordinary person, ordinary person is not, you know, a, not a dog a, whistle for a, straight white male, right? Not ordinary person. It's a normie, right? Somebody for whom politics is not a hobby, right? Yes, exactly. Regardless of their for, identity position, regardless of their political position even, right? For, for, for anybody, regardless of whether – you know, they're, they're a, you know, white male construction worker or, or like a black lesbian Wiccan, you know, uh, who, who, who would vote communist, you know, given the chance or whatever, right? Like anybody in any identity category or political position who's not obsessed with politics, who doesn't like, who doesn't just marinate in this stuff all, all the time. Yeah. Like us, we're, take- we're sick freaks. Let's be yeah. honest. We're sick freaks. Yeah, exactly, we like, right? let's own it. You know, you and me and, and you listener, you're, yes. you're a sick freak listener. <laughs> yeah, no, no, we are kind of freaks, right? This is not normal to spend this much time thinking about Great this stuff. stuff. So anybody who doesn't spend that much time thinking about this, anybody who isn't just marinated in this is going to take one look at that and be like, wow, I want nothing to do with those people. Yeah. yeah. And I don't understand how everybody – well, I do understand, unfortunately. But, like, it's 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 incredible, right, that nobody in that room seems to have had that thought. Or if they did, nobody cared about it enough, right, to back get state of this, to think, hold on. This is probably not the face we want to be projecting to the world if we actually were interested in building a mass movement to actually bring about meaningful change. That's one problem. The other problem is that – Anybody who's looking at those clips, I think, can just immediately sense that – or they should be able to, right? Like some people some people are going to insist otherwise, right? But they should be able to sense that everything that's going on here is about this competitive, uh, moralistic one-upsmanship, right? That like – that hey, uh, that no-crosstalk guy was pretty – was pretty angry and pretty righteous, but I got him. He said, hey, guys, uh-huh. so uh-huh. I could – I know. showed myself to be superior in these ways, and which is why I said this is – this, you know, um, as, as Adolph Reed Jr. likes to say, right, like this isn't the absence of a class politics. This is a class politics. It's just not – it's just not the right it's class. It's just not yeah. the working class. It's the hyper-competitive, like a petty – PMC, like, you know, culturalist, like, um, you know, gotcha, like contest of uh, how many different ways can I say competitive, Ben? Uh, but you no, get but, it. But, like, but, it's just, it's just, but that's, but that's, that's it's it. it. It's just like, anybody who was born in, around, or adjacent to that PMC structure. And I was, I had one foot in and one foot out growing up. Yeah, sure. Like a lot of us, because otherwise we would just be like, you know, let's be honest, dick bags who wouldn't, <laughs> who wouldn't <laughs> yeah, care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Totally. Like yeah. You have to have that like, dual consciousness to be to be to understand it on the one heart part, but on the other hand, to sort of break out of it and be like, wait a minute, what the fuck is this? Right? Like, um, yeah, no, like, 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 I want to, like, yeah, I mean, totally, like, like a lot of the time, um, I mean, well, if if you think about academia. And the people who are like really successful in that, 
you know, you can you can see that there's that there's that thing that's been embedded in them because probably like probably before they could talk, their parents were like worried about like what elementary school they could get them exactly. into. And and that's just been instilled in them. Uh and it's so I mean, part of the reason that like I mean, frankly, right, that like um I mean, I'm probably probably now I have like now that I'm doing this political stuff that I'm passionate about, like I probably have a better work ethic than I've ever had in my life. But like, you know, but I but in in grad school, right? I mean, I wasn't like, you know, I'd like, you know, read a couple articles so I could like write a paper, but like I didn't want to be in the library 18 hours a day. I wanted to like, you know, go out and like um and like get drunk and like, <laughs> exactly. you know, you know, watch hockey with my friends from Michigan and, you know, like that's, the, you know, I mean, like, I, did. Like, I, I, I like you probably encountered these people finally, like in, you know, not an undergrad, I could have encountered them undergrad. I was too busy getting drunk and failing out of my classes, but I've encountered <laughs> them finally in graduate school. Once I finally made it there through a number of twists and turns. And it's like, you realize very, very quickly and very starkly. You're like, Oh, oh I'm not like these people. And, yeah, and I'm not like these I'm people. Not I, like I, these I don't. People. I don't especially want to be. And like I don't want to be. No, I don't want to be. I mean, you, you, there's a, there's a certain petty cutthroat viciousness that comes out. And I think let's 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 do this in, in, in a somewhat less um, <laughs> a less uh, sect. I don't want to say sectarian. We're not being sectarian. A less uh, whatever problematic way. Look at Warren's constituency. Yeah, I mean the exactly. Warrenites. If nothing else, I mean they started off these kind of like kumbaya. We're one of you. We're we're with Sanders, just different than you. We all care about the same thing. We can come together, big, broad, progressive movement. But by the end of it, I mean, if they had to knife us, you know, for, for any reason at all to, to get on with, with their program, like, you know, any one of them would have done in a heartbeat. You know, I mean, a 75-year-old yeah, well, retired, uh, you know, elementary school guidance counselor, <laughs> you know, with a, with a she's got plans, I'm with, uh, I'm with Liz shirt on, right? Would have slit your fucking throat in a heartbeat, right, absolutely. if it came down to it. It's that petty viciousness, hyper-competitiveness that comes from being acculturated in the, in the PMC class. Yeah, totally. Because, cause if, um, cause look, if you, if you grow up in a way where you don't, you know, and your experiences at work or whatever is such that like, you basically think that, you know, you're fucked regardless, then like, you don't have this. And if you grow up, you know, rich, uh, you don't have this either. Cause you know, you're fine anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's, it's true. this, no, that's very true. It's this, it's, it's this very specific, Middle class, but not just middle class, specifically this kind of like professional managerial middle class thing, because, you know, it's it's all about like, um, you know, Thomas Frank is not a Marxist uh, by any means, but he he does nail this in his book, Listen Liberal, where he, you know, he talks about, you know, he calls it the liberal class. But I mean, like he's he's talking about the same thing that, you know, that Adolf Reed and Barbara Ehrenreich are talking about with the, you know, the PMC that like. They've got this kind of cult of credentials and, and, and pedigree and, and all that stuff because that's all of their prospects in life are 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 tied to that. You know, they, they they've all of their training has been to get them to care about that stuff. And of course, yeah, to get them to eat everybody else you have to eat to, you know, to to get to the top of, you know, of whatever they're doing. So so that's what like yeah, I mean, our mutual friend Michael always likes to say, uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren was was an identity politics candidate, not for women, but for like journalists and academics. 
right? I mean, like she was their identity politics, you know, because and even though, like, if you really take it seriously on its own terms, I mean, when they talk, oh, she's got plans, whatever, it's like, well, I mean, she's got like medium posts, right? Like that's, <laughs> yeah. they're not even that long or involved. But the point is just that that's, that's almost beside the point, right? It's like the way that um, it's the way that the same way that like some people will like write academic papers on things that, you know, don't particularly interest them or it'd be amazing if they did. Right. You know, or like that they they'll, uh, They'll do, they'll make this big performative show of being like the last one to leave the law firm that they work at at the end of the day, right? You know, that like, it's the same deal that like, just the fact that she made this big thing of rolling out the medium posts and always referred to them as plans and she talked about them the right way. It just checked all the boxes for these people, which is why it like, I'm very like, um, you know, given what I, do as a day job uh i i know about a million of these people and um and like you would think like and this is why they were like with her uh you know i know that wasn't the uh, that was another candidate slogan but you know they were with her until the bitter end like no matter what right because you would think if you if you took it seriously that like oh yeah what they're really in this for is that you know, some of the same stuff that Sanders talks about, that they, they want everybody to have health care and, you know, uh, wealth tax, whatever, right? Then, like, you would think that when it became excruciatingly clear in the first few contests that there was no chance whatsoever that it was going to be Warren, right? That she was, she, she was uh, you know, not the cool kind of Led Zeppelin, but, you know, but like a, a literal one, right? You know, a perennial uh, fourth that, place finisher. Yeah, yeah, right, totally, right? Like, when that became clear, as it did very quickly, if if what they cared about was the policies, they all would have jumped ship and started supporting Bernie. Um, but even, like, just before Super Tuesday, when it was clear, it's like, okay, this is like the Bernie last stand, right? Uh, and, and Warren has been done for a while, right? All these people were still casting these like symbolic votes for Elizabeth Warren because they just couldn't bear to, to go against their, their, their tribe. Right. You know, that like, that's, that, that's their, that's, that's their identity, right. Above all else. It's not the, it's not the kind of identities that people are usually talking about when they talk about identity politics. It's their, it's, it's their cultural economic identity as PMC strivers. That's what they saw at Elizabeth Warren and and that was really the appeal, like more than anything that that had anything anything to do with politics. Uh, but then, like where it gets complicated is that um, you know, people, lots of people, as we said earlier, are are just very confused, right? So they've they've broken out of that in certain ways and in certain dimensions, but in others they have not, you know. And uh, and so even if even if they were, you know, supporting Bernie and 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 uh, and and they weren't just, you know, social democrats, they had like radical socialist goals, you know, the the, the little rose emoji and the Twitter handle, uh, then it was still the case that they, you know, that they're they're thinking like this, right? That they they have this they have this mindset, you know, because even if they're, I mean, very often what's going on here, and, and I mean, this is not a this, whatever. I mean, like, this is like, you know, this describes plenty of people, you know, who, who see this stuff exactly the way I do. Right. 
I mean, hell, in some ways describes me, whatever, right? You know, like people who, you know, were maybe at one point on that track and aren't anymore, or maybe they were born into it and now they're kind of downwardly mobile because the economy sucks, you know? Um, so, so they have, they still got that, that mindset and, um, and, and so they, they've made all these, you know, in a lot of ways, their politics have gotten better, but they, they, they still sort of have this view of how to do politics. That's like, you know, you're still basically like reporting people to the corporate HR department. Yeah. Yeah. They want to speak to your manager. No doubt. Yes, no exactly. So I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to cut it off here. We've talked about a lot of stuff and uh, you know, I've, I've enjoyed the hell out of our first episode together, our first official a side together. I hope that the audience has too. In fact, I'm, I'm going to go out uh, on a limb and, uh, and say that they have definitely enjoyed this because uh, this is bread and butter DPS stuff, folks. We're definitely turning over a new leaf. It is perhaps the age of Aquarius, but uh, there's nothing new under the sun here in DPS land. All right. We are nothing if not uh, like, you know, um, <laughs> uh, remarkably consistent for better and for worse. So like it, there's going to be much more of this stuff uh, on the way, uh, Ben. Thanks again for joining me uh, for for your first episode as co-host. I'm really looking forward to our collaboration. We're going to carry this over to the B-side. And as I hinted earlier in the episode, patrons of the DPS of the DP. Did you see what I did there? The DPS, patrons of the DPS. (laughs) Uh, also get access to our weekly B-sides, which are more in-depth kind of cutting, biting commentary of of the kind of thing that we just talked about. We're going to go in depth about an article that you wrote about the anti-lockdown protests, particularly mm-hmm. in Michigan. And we're going to talk about some of the blowback that you faced from the very people that we've been criticizing for the past 20 to 30 minutes specifically about your arguments there that we would dare to try to, I don't know, provide for the needs of the masses so that they come to our side rather than the far right. I don't know. That apparently is far more <laughs> controversial than I thought it would be. Uh, but the culture wars, what are you going to do, man? People just can't see outside of it. And we're going to get on to uh, more commentary about how to build the left that we need desperately to build in order to go beyond Bernie in a really productive way in the next four years. And um, a lot of really important insight there that's going to extend on the conversation we had about your forthcoming book. Uh, it's going to extend on our uh, conversation about Mark, the late Mark Fisher's uh, exiting the vampire castle. And um, I'm really just pumped about this episode. We've done now the A side and the B side is going to be a really great extension of the kind of things that you're going to see from dead pundit society going forward. I don't know if this is, I guess this is technically season four of DPS. I mean, this is the kickoff, nice. you know, we've just, we've just finished. We've just come up on the third year anniversary of DPS uh, this past month. And so um, here we are. We're launching into season four. That's really, really fucking hard to believe, man. We're going to be OGs before you know it. We're going to be old and gray talking about the democratic socialist <laughs> movement to to like a Gen C. Because we'll go, we'll, we'll go through like A and B and we'll be on C. Right, right, right. right, Fuck. right. You know, think about the stuff they're going to be into. You know, you, know, you know what I, I keep thinking about is uh, when this is all over and we have like I don't know, whatever, whatever's on the other side, vaccine, test and trace, whatever, like, you know, we could all go outside, right? Uh, then like in like 30 years, maybe everybody who went through this as an adult is going to be fucking insufferable to everybody who's young, <laughs> who like, who's too young yeah. to have gone through it. We're going to be like, yeah, this generation, they, they couldn't have handled the coronavirus yeah. like we did. Yeah. Well, apparently, you, you know, know, you know what other generation couldn't handle the coronavirus? 
<laughs> the ones living through it right fucking now. We're going to talk much more about that in the coming B-side because apparently Karen wants her nails done and Bobby uh, Bobby wants a haircut. So uh, they're going to protest outside the Michigan State House for it alongside a bunch of uh, open you know, white supremacists and uh, white nationalist organizations uh, whom Trump said are actually uh, they're, they're good people. They're very good people, actually. Uh, g- great people, those white nationalists. Yeah, we're going to talk much more about that. If you're not a patron, you're going to miss out, though. That would be very, very sad. Uh, we need the support of our listeners to, in order to continue this programming, in order to extend it. We've got a big, big task ahead of us. You know, if I may be earnest for a second, I know that's like so not cool. It's very not Chad like, of, but uh, if you'll pardon my virginhood over the next uh, two minutes, I'd appreciate it. We're at a big, big inflection point right now in the left, and we need to think very seriously about how to move forward. And and I really mean that. I've been I've been uh, struggling with this for for many months now. And as I talked about at the very opening of today's episode. And, and I really do mean that like we, we desperately need to start thinking about developing alternative, like stridently left, but not just left, not just left, but stridently democratic socialist media institutions. And if I may be so provocative at the end of this hour and a half ASI to suggest that a lot of the, a lot of the, a lot of the media content that we've seen so far desperately needs to pivot in the direction of not just owning the libs, not just bringing a, a critique of the status quo of, of liberalism and even progressivism. But we need to start thinking seriously about how do we take this force that we've developed in the discourse, right, on Twitter, on online, on the podcast sphere, and how do we marshal that as a material institutionalized force in the world that has like measurable impacts when it comes to like, you know, global crises like the one that we find ourselves in today. And I mean, this is, this is huge, but this is the project of our generation. It really, really is. And it's something that we have to start in earnest now that we are post-Bernie. Uh, we can't hang our hats on this this political miracle that was Bernie Sanders over the past, you know, four to six years. We can't hang our hats on that anymore. Those days are done. We need to start earning our, (laughs) our advances rather than, you know, depending on this, this utter historical accident that was Bernie Sanders um, for a variety of reasons that a lot of other people have talked about very succinctly. So, if you if you agree with what I've said, if you think that if you want to take this seriously and and you want to go forward and and learn and uh, and grow together and develop into this new era, I encourage you to head over to Patreon.com/slash Dead Pundits and become a subscriber today. Season four of DPS, I'm convinced, is going to be the best yet, and uh, much much more on the B side. Everybody, uh, check us out there, Ben. Signing off for the people. All right, all right. See y'all on the B side.